You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Professor David Kirk Philp, along with Dr. Stavon. Marconi Emeritus. Yes, and he is in Florida on assignment. I am in New Jersey in the cold, and we are here with the wonderful, no relation to, uh, to Joel and Ethan Cohen, but we have Josh Cohen with <laughs> unless he is related, and he will tell us and then give us some of that money from Fargo. So, Josh, great to have you here today. Great to be here. Thanks. Great. We are going to, we're, Josh is going to be involved in our introduction, and we're very excited about it. Yes, <laughs> should we give thanks, Dr. Esteban, right off the bat? Yes, we better. We, we, we'd best get enrolled, but we better give thanks, yes. So everybody, by the way, listen to us on uh, Brave New Radio, 88.7 FM. You can find them on TuneIn and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Follow the podcast. Listen to all sorts of episodes. Of course, this one is going to be the best. We want to give thanks. To the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent Kiss, Zach Brown, and Tima Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Or if you're a solo artist for your solo artist career, go to vb-dot-com when you're ready. Okay. Thanks. Also, go to Christine. Oi! Bay. There we go. Josh Cullen. We'll do it one more time. And our thanks also go out to Christine. Oi! Bay, a wealth manager at the Forefront FOUR Group. Christine has helped professionals and amateurs all over the world manage their investments plan after their retirement. When somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to their personal financial future, you want to think about the Forefront Group and you want to go to Christine at Forefront.com. Then leave the last oi off the savings. Which we should always do. Which brings us to our good friend. Without rehearsal, that's pretty good. This is live yeah. radio. <laughs> that's right. Live <laughs> recorded radio over the Zoom on a Sunday, Monday afternoon. By the way, Managing Your Band 7th Edition, it is out now. It is a bestseller in um, the Queenan province of China and WPU, our music business. Bangladesh, yes. Yes, rank one of the best in the world. Dr. Stavon, do you want to take it away with Josh Cohen? Sure. Talent sure. at Garcia's. Yes. Okay, Josh, you're going to get a question from the outside. Tell me about your parents' record collection that got you toe turned on to music. Gotcha. My parents' record collection was awesome. So um, my mom and my dad had a really good record collection, and that 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 included lots of lots of Beatles, lots of um, Joni Mitchell. But I have to say, it was my my aunt. Didi and my uncle Alan's record collection that really took me took me to the sky and beyond. And um, they had a record collection uh, that that included the entire living room wall, ceiling the floor. And so we'd go there, and I wouldn't even know which um, square, you know, crate size square to start in when I look at the records. But my uncle Alan, who had been in, in the music industry. Um, since before I was born, he would always just curate the sounds of all the family gatherings from Steely Dan to, to The Boss and Grateful Dead and Pink Floyd and Grant Parker, Elvis Costello, and, and, and you name it, he would play it as long as it was really good. <laughs> right. Good. Now, growing up in Freehold? I grew up in Freehold, and that record collection was down the road in Homedale. Ah, okay. So you must have been... Uh... Totally involved with the Asbury Park uh, thing. 
What do you mean by the Asbury Park thing? Well, I, the, all the musicians and all the uh, outlets to play music and so on. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. My, my musical career kicked off uh, after my regular career had started. I was, I was uh, 33 years old before, right. you know, before I got into music. And so I was a fan before that. And uh, when I was going to see music as, as, uh, as a youngster, I was really going more out to see like Fish and the Grateful Dead. Um, and, and I wasn't lucky enough to see them when they were coming to, you know, anywhere small enough to, to be near in Asbury Park. But um, but I have seen the Asbury and the Jersey Shore scene grow immensely over the last 15 years or so. Um, and I do remember visiting friends in Long Branch and hanging out at the Brighton Bar and seeing all the eminent do domain signs come up around Asbury Park right, right as uh, they were getting ready to kind of clear out the old look and bring in. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this resurrected music scene that's going on. There. Right. Right. Did you, uh, so did you hang out at Freehold Music at all? Like Bruce did? Absolutely hung out at Freehold Music. Sure. I grew up going to Freehold Music. Uh, yep, you know it. Yep. And uh, eating Federici's pizza. I, I actually was lucky enough to eat some of that last week. Um, <laughs> I know, I know the boss would talk about his round grease stain on the on yeah. the uh, seat on the front seat of everyone's car and freehold, <laughs> they ser serve their pies in a brown paper bag to keep it right. extra crispy, you know. <laughs> well, actually, uh, we when I was chair of the department, uh, we were had a um, a lease agreement for Yamaha pianos with Mike Deal, of of uh, so I got to know him pretty well actually for about uh, five years or so. Yeah, interesting character. Yeah. Who are you talking? Who are you talking about? Who's Mike Deal? Mike Deal owns uh, Freehold Music. Uh, explain that to our listeners. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So he and Freehold Music was a place that Bruce got his first guitar, and it was the sort of the only place I understand down the shore that sort of uh, respected and 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 accepted rock guys coming in and and playing and so on. It's true. I, I went there uh, and I bought my first bass guitar there and I, I didn't even know what instrument I wanted to play. And this was this was long before I got involved in the in the business side of things. And right. I was I was probably in my I don't know, 20, 23 range or so. And I walked into Frio Music because it had been there since I was a little kid. And I got piano lessons when I was very young. But I walked in Frio Music, like you said, and it's not a national chain. Um, and Guitar Center is great because we still have a music store that is around, the, you know, the country. But but Frio music was 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 uh, more person, you know, custom uh, guy would walk up to you and say, what kind of music do you like? And you, you spit out whatever bands and he'd pick up a guitar or bass and start slapping it and playing the riffs. And that's what happened to me. This guy started slapping on a bass. I'm like, uh, OK, I'll have a bass, please. You know, and the same guy, you know, I set up lessons to go to his apartment and and learn how to play Sly and the Family Stone bass riffs, you know, right. and, and that that's, you know, Freehold music for sure. Right, right. So you sort of, you're in, you're out, you you weren't in music and uh, around 33 years old, you just couldn't uh, take the straight life anymore? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I was, I found myself in sales. I, I didn't finish college and, and um, you know, for a lot of people that didn't know what they wanted to do and didn't finish school, you know, sales becomes one way you can, as long as you're, you, you're good at making friends with people, you, you might be able to make a living. And so I've been blessed with that. And, and so I got into sales and I found myself in, in, uh, in uh, Florida and Jacksonville with a five state sales territory selling emergency right. preparedness equipment of all things. Um, and this is long before we needed it <laughs> for the pandemic. And, uh, and, and I, I had like kind of a, a, uh, a light bulb moment one day at the beach of like, what am I doing? Uh, you know, I just, I, I love community. I like bringing people together. I love music. I need to find something to do that I'm passionate about. Um, and I, I, I called up my cousin who was uh, in the biz in, in New York. I said, I want to start from the bottom. Um, but where should I, where should I get an internship? You know, I, I know I'm 33. I know I'm old for, for internships, but I don't care. And, uh, and that, that landed me at Hardhead Management with uh, Steph Scamardo and Warren Haynes' team, uh, where, you know, they manage uh, Warren and Government Mule and a couple other projects at the time. And, and I moved to New York City and uh, dropped my sales career and decided to uh, put my time into something I, I enjoy. And you were an intern at that age. I was an intern. I was, I'm uh, still proud of the fact, I, and I was very proud of the, at the time because it was like, 
uh, a foot putting my foot down for my own life type moment and you know in time and and so uh it felt good to start to to start at the bottom again so wow. to speak um knowing right. what i where i wanted to go right so now you manage and you book garcia's which is a lobby bar so to speak at the capitol theater in portchester it is. That's one way to, to describe it for sure. I, I know it was called the lobby bar when I first got hired. And I, yeah. I try to stay away from defining it as such, because um, while we are a bar and we do share a lobby with the Capitol Theater, uh, you know, we also have a 250 person um, space where we book our own shows and separately ticketed shows from the Capitol Theater shows. So we have a couple different hats that we wear in Garcia's. And one of them is helping to curate the awesome shows uh, and experiences that live music fans get at the Capitol Theater. And mm -hmm. um, and in doing so, I mean, booking pre-shows that happen when people get there early. There's a band playing in Garcia's before the Capitol Theater show or in between sets. Or maybe there's a band playing when people leave the cap. And it's a great way for young bands to find new fans and vice versa in that arrangement. Um, but then on shows, on nights when the cap doesn't have its own shows, um, it's very fun and exciting to have the locals come out for, you know, smaller events uh, with the 250 capacity. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have uh, seats? We in don't. The, it's standing room, even when there's not a show at the Capitol. Correct. Correct. When we have our own shows at Garcia's, it's a, it's a standing room show. Um, there is a, uh, a um, I don't want to say bench scene or sort of a, a attached couch to the that goes along the the side walls of the room so there is some seating but there's not seating up front for the show um you know viewing right in front of the stage it's it's pretty mm -hmm. much uh your your bowling lane tight uh style rectangular room where you walk in and the entire right hand wall is a bar and the stage is at the far end of the room when you walk in the band is playing uh to you when you walk in the room um and then when you get towards the stage if you turn and look left you see the lobby that leads into the capitol theater so right. you know we adorn the walls with all sorts of cool jerry garcia memorabilia and photos right. and uh replica guitars and banjos and things like that so we catch capture the vibe of, of jerry and the dead while while we have our shows so the people come basically right before the show is going to start and see the show and then leave? Or how does that work with no seating in this bar situation? Right, so in Garcia's, um, yeah, pe people hang out and stand and, and, and socialize. Uh, mm -hmm. Similar to some of the more, the, the, the classic West Village type bars like Sullivan Hall that used to be a popular spot in the, in the village. We used to be the Lion's Den uh, before that. But um, yeah, people come in. Uh, our typical run of show is seven o'clock doors, eight o'clock show, and the band will hit sometime between eight and eight thirty. Um, and uh, you know, in the hour before the band hits, it's you know a lot of our regulars and the fans of the band just kind of you know gathering around the bar and mm -hmm. taking their place up near the stage. And some people sit down in the couches that line the walls, um, you know, until the show starts, where at that point, everyone's pretty much up, up and rocking near the stage for the most part. So if I'm a local band, I could solicit you to, to get a uh, night at Garcia's? How yes. How you work your booking? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last part of your question. How did your booking work? Um, it's a combination of, of uh, you know, I have lots of inquiries, like many venues, I'm sure, of bands who uh, reach out to the Capitol Theater or Garcia's uh, info accounts and just say, hey, how do I get my band booked at, at your venue? And uh, other, otherwise, it's people uh, reaching out to me through word of mouth or agents reaching out during, you know, while they're routing naturally. Um, and then it's a lot of me just reaching out to uh, bands that I have relationships with or bands that are on my radar that I want to help, you know, grow in the room and, or introduce to the, to the community. Um, uh, so it's really a combination of me reaching out to bands that I want to book uh, and bands reaching out to me and agents reaching out to me as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's about basically the Westchester, Western Connecticut crowd. Yeah, uh, mostly Westchester, fair, you know, Southern Connecticut, Fairfield County, uh, mm -hmm. Rockland County. Um, you know, right over the the bridge uh, towards right. you know Nyack area. Um, right. That's where we're bringing in most of our fans. It's it's rare that we get a lot of people coming up from the city, but sometimes with some of our bigger shows, um, 
you know, we'll, we'll have people take the train up for a Garcia show. Naturally, when the Capitol Theater books its shows, they have people coming in from all over the country and a lot more regional fans. Um, and we capture, you know, some of that audience in Garcia's for our pre-shows or after parties. But for, for regular Garcia's ticketed shows, it's mostly local. And on occasion, when we have someone like Marcus King or, um, or, or Black Pumas, you know, it, it, sometimes we'll get lucky and get an underplay and, and folks will come in from a little further out. Is, it, is the venue known for one particular uh, genre? Well, uh, I'd have to say yes. Is it known for? Yeah, sure. The Capitol Theater and Garcia's are, are I think, largely associated with the jam band um, corner of the music industry. Um, I'd say, you know, there's certainly... Um, not that that's a negative stigma in any way. That's, you know, we, that's who we are. We're called Garcia's for a reason. We love Jerry and, and we appreciate the community that's built around the dead. Um, and at the same time, as the person who books the bands, um, you know, I always have to be sensitive to the fact that I don't uh, book shows for just me to come to. And so I, I, I want to book shows that, that, that everyone in the community wants to come out to. There's a really awesome rock and punk rock scene in, in Yonkers, New York, without a whole lot of cool venues to play. So I've become friendly and worked with a, a lot of the local rock bands as well, in addition to the jam bands. And I try to certainly tap into the funk as well. Um, and and uh, occasionally we'll have some jazz, but it's, it's mostly jam bands, um, funk bands and rock, you know, rock and roll. And your average age for the, the audience? The average age in, in the audience is, uh, it's, it's a probably, I'm going to say 40 to 55. Ah, so people that have heard the name Jerry Garcia and actually know who he is. Yeah. Now we have a wide rate, wide range, age range, um, in Garcia's and it really kind of depends on what the show is. Um, you know, if I have a, a rock yeah. band that's coming out of pace or Yonkers, then I'll have a lot of fans in the house who are in their twenties or, or, or thirties. Um, but when I'm playing uh, to the local community in, in Garcia's, uh, you know, every Wednesday is dead centered. So almost every Wednesday is, is like a Grateful Dead cover band night or, or a tribute uh, to a band that's similar. So the audience is naturally, you know, fans who remember going and seeing those bands when they were young. And, and, uh, and that's a large part of our demographic in Westchester in general. Right. So what do you, besides the show, what are you doing to help develop the community scene uh, besides Garcia's? Besides Garcia's, we have a lot of, um, I have to mention Stephanie May. She's our marketing director and she comes up with these amazing programs like Cap Cares. Cap Cares is a volunteer program she put together um, where we have uh, lots of our regulars along with our street teamers and our street team. Uh, I, I quote our street team because it's not just uh, folks who are pro out promoting shows, but they're a lot, you know, largely our, our core fan base as well, who just love coming to, out to, the, to see shows enough that they want to be more involved. And so we uh, lead these programs where we invite folks out to be a part of volunteer opportunities all around Westchester, um, whether it be uh, bagging up medical supplies that, be give, that are given out for free um, where they're needed uh, or um, literally, you know, feeding the homeless or uh, those who can't put food on their own table uh, with Caritas, um, uh, which is our local food shelter. Um, you know, do we do a lot of things with nonprofit and uh, helping to clothe and feed the those in need in Westchester and and right in, in Port Chester. So you actually branded the then the go beyond just form a performance venue. That's we, great. We we did, yeah. Cap Cares is the name of that particular program, and that's something that started up over the you know that Stephanie um, started uh, over the course of. It might have started right before the pandemic or during the pandemic, um, but it, it stems sort of out of the fact that for years now we've been partnering with uh, whether it be Riverkeeper for a show that's going to put money towards um, local environmental issues or Caritas the local food bank or the Carver Center that helps um, get toys out to you know families that can't afford to buy them for their kids. So it's really just kind of putting a branding on, on, on the programs that we've already had in place and now using that to expand on, which has been really cool. Um, and ob obviously it makes everyone feel good about, about getting out and helping, but it also grows the music community because there's a bunch of live music lovers 
getting together to do these things. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Dave, you got a comment? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd like to go back a bit to 33-year-old 33-year-old Josh Cohen. So something something was the, uh, the 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 flame on your on your tush. What was it that at 33? I, I, I'm not happy with sales. I, I have to follow this other path. What What was the thing that was the last straw that made you drop everything and take a job in which you're not even getting paid? Um, I think it was where I was living. And this is, I, 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 I certainly never want to say anything negative about an area, but it was just for me. I, I found, I was living in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm a, I'm a product of Freehold, New Jersey. Um, and, and, and it's a much different space. And when I would go out to Freebird to see music, that's the live music venue or, you know, down in Jacksonville, um, where I'd go to see bands that, that I enjoyed and I'd go out to the club and I'd strike up conversations with different people and, and I'd make some friends here and there. Um, but I, the conversation would always wind to like, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I'd get into what I did and it's really boring to talk about mobile decontamination trailers and pink vests versus yellow vests for, you know, response to emergencies. And, and, and the more I heard myself talking about what I do and thinking about, you know, the more I thought about it and, and um, I would leave, uh, it, when I lived in Jacksonville, it would take a longer time for me to drive to see the sh- a lot of the shows that I wanted to see uh, in South Florida or go up to the Northeast to be with the friends that I wanted to see music with or see the festivals that I wanted to see. And the more I experienced the shows, I started just thinking about, you know, the fact of how, how at home I feel and how when I talked to friends who were um, doing this or that uh, sur- and helping out put on shows, um, I, we, we always seem to have ideas on how we would do it. Well, if I was, if I had a festival, I would do this, I would do that, I would do this. And then, um, you know, eventually I had a friend uh, who, my buddy Larry, his family owned a performing arts camp up in upstate New York. And uh, a, a, a guy who put on a festival promoter approached him to rent out the, the campgrounds in order to put on a, a, um, a legalization festival. This is long before pot was legal. And, and, um, and so, you know, I'd go and help out, um, with the festival. I would just kind of be there. And one year I was like, you know, what, what can I do to, um, you know, make a couple bucks, you know, how can I help? And they're like, well, there's no one selling ice last year. And so I, I bought a pallet of ice from some random local ice distributor. And I, you know, I stored it in the the walk-in cooler at the camp and I rode around on a, on a golf cart and sold ice. And, and, and little things like that, it popped in my head. Eventually, I, I just said, I have to get out of this life I just simply don't care about. I was really just in a career um, that would put a roof over my head and feed me. And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that um, because we all have to find a way to put a roof over our head and eat. So, um, but I, I decided to take a leap of faith and um, that I could do that uh, with something I cared a little more passionately about. And, you know, I guess it was a combination of talking about um, what I did and thinking about what I, what I love that made so me was, make the change. Was all that a part of the uh, evolved to the Catskill chill music festival? It was, it was. And so when I got at, when I was at Hardhead, it was, it was right around my move to Hardhead management. When, when I became the intern was when my friend was being approached by this promoter to rent out his camp. And, um, and so that was sort of happening at the same time. And, and so I moved up to New York city. Um, I, I, I worked at the sleepaway camp for the, for the summer in between leaving my old job and take and starting the internship. Um, and at the summer camp, it's funny at the summer camp, at the end of camp, I was looking for a place to live in the city. And, um, and this is sort of like how the universe works. Um, the woman who ran the house house cleaning for the camp came up because she she left her vacuum. She left something behind. She said, Josh, what are you doing up here still? I said, oh, I'm looking for a place to live. I need to find an apartment in the city, something affordable because I'm turning my life upside down. Don't ask me, but I'm doing it. And she said, oh, I have an apartment for you. What, do you. what are you trying to do? I said, music. Oh, my husband will help you. Don't worry. So she rents me an apartment in her brownstone in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn for $675 a month. Oh. And Obviously that's dirt cheap now, but it was even dirt cheap then in 2008. 
And um, I go to the apartment. I had never seen her place. I took it sight unseen. I go in um, and I, she takes me downstairs and I see these gold records on the wall. I'm like, Who, what's going on? Who, what, where are these gold records at? Oh, this is Jay, this is Jay's record. Who's Jay? Jay's my husband right here. Jay, meet Josh. He's gonna live upstairs. So her husband's Jazzy Jay, the original DJ Jazzy Jay, right, who, Jazzy who yeah. helped with the forming of hip hop, you know, with the Grand Theodore, sure. Grandmaster Flash and the Bronx. Yeah. And so I moved into Jazzy Jay's house without even realizing ah. that I was doing it. And uh, it from that moment, it just seemed like things kept steamrolling, like I was going to the right and moving in the right direction. I had all these road signs that the, the universe gave me that I'm doing, you know, moving the right way. And, and I was. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say the karma is there. I mean, they, you're taking the leap, the leap of faith, like you said. And I know you in a way downplayed, you know, everybody has to make a living doing something and sales was your thing for you. I mean, there was a time when I sold kitchen stuff, kitchen redos. I hated every second of it. Um, it wasn't for me. I was completely unhappy. It's, it's the most depressing thing in the world when you're getting up every day. The worst thing I was talking to my daughter who's in high school and she doesn't like Sundays because Monday she has school. And the worst thing is if that is your life, because every Sunday you hate your job so much that on Sunday you wake up and go, oh my God, I hate today because tomorrow I have to go to work, which ruins six days of your week, you know, you're Saturday and then Sunday you're depressed because of Monday. So um, I give you a lot of, a, a lot of credit. You know, I, I, I praise you for, for doing that, you know, at, at 33 years old and saying, let's see, I can stay on this path that sucks and make a living, but I'm not happy or why not? I mean, so let's go back because so, how could you afford to do to intern for free? Did you have a family? Did you have a wife and kids? Was it just you all by yourself? How, how did all that, where was the risk or was there no risk at all? You could always get another job in sales anyway. There was a lot of risk and I did, uh, I didn't have money saved up. Um, I, I am, I, I wasn't married. I don't have any kids. I'm still not married. And, uh, the, um, I took the money I made from camp that summer to cover my rent. I, I took the unpaid internship with Hardhead, and I also took uh, my buddy, a good friend of mine, is a commercial real estate agent in New York City. And so, you know, commercial real estate agents have decent sized commissions that they work for. And um, I was blessed. I'm blessed with the gift of gab, if you will. That's what everyone would always say in sales. You got the gift of gab, you know. And so I would I went and made cold calls for my good friend, Brett Verricchio at, at his uh, real estate firm in New York City. Uh, to make ends meet. I took an hourly wage. Uh, I took some commissions on any deals that I helped set up that came to fruition. Um, and I, I, I went old school, you know, I, I hit the pavement, I cold called to make money. And at the same time, I would put quarters in Stephanie Scamardo's meter to make sure she could park right in front of, of the office, which she deserves to do. She's amazing and, and does an incredible job at everything that they do at Hardhead. But this was my, my life at 33. I was like, you know what, whatever, I can do it. I'm moving to New York. I know how to work hard. I'll make sales calls. I'll learn whatever I'm going to learn, you know, as an intern. But the big, the best thing I learned was just, you know, you network and you make friends with people and, and you learn the, you know, the little ins and out of, of a music office as opposed to a home sales office. And, and from there you make friends and, you know, conversations lead to things. Do you think if you had done the same thing at 21, you would have been as successful? Do you think, do you think for you personally, not for anybody, but you personally, do you think it, it, you had to be 33 years old to start this journey. I have pondered that. And the mm -hmm. conclusion I've come to is no, I had, I, I had to do it the way I did it. That's, that's mm -hmm. the way it happened. I think I had to, um, I, I don't, would I've been as successful or more successful had I started doing what I do at 21? Maybe, but I know that I wouldn't have taken all of the, um, patience that comes with, um, being said no to after 10 plus years of different sales jobs and, and, um, and turn that into success. You know, that's, 
that you learn a lot in sales and you learn a lot from from being said no to <laughs> over and over again for whether whatever you're selling um there's a lot to learn from that there's also a lot to learn from having some jobs you know before i did that i had some sales jobs where i had to wear a suit and tie to the office every single day and come into new york city wearing a suit and tie um there's a lot to learn from sending emails or correspondence out and having people your boss come back to you and say no punctuation on this sentence that's something no one would ever say in the music industry because there's no yeah. punctuation so you know i all of a sudden you know I, i'm the guy that people ask to reread everything because i have you know i have i know what grammar is <laughs> you know? not to take a, a low blow at, at some of my <laughs> friends in the music industry but you know just, i i couldn't have done what I do had I not started at the age I started. Yeah. 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 I think that's one of the issues with, with business and maybe it's just media in general. They praise the 20 over 20, you know, or, you know, all the people who are in their twenties or maybe thirties, but what about those people who are making it in their forties or fifties? You know, my brother works for a company that um, really relishes hiring people who are in their fifties because for that exact thing, they're mature, they're stable, they have life experience and they're really successful because they understand what it's like to be fired. They understand, mm-hmm. you know, all the different things you go through from when you graduate yeah. college at 21 to being 50 years old. That's almost, that's 29 years of life. And there's something to be said for uh, an artist manager who's 50 years old, you know, who just can deal with, with the, you know, the nasty people better than the 21 year old, kid who's never been through it or, or, or whatever, you know? So I, I continuously praise you for, for doing that, taking that step and then living it, you know? Sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. David. Yes. Getting, uh, getting back to Garcia's, how is the payment structure for bands? They work for the door, they get a percentage, they get a uh, guarantee. What, what goes on? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's all the above. It depends on the show. Um, I do certainly. It's it's interesting how often I get asked, like, "Well, what's your booking structure?" And I'm asked some, you know, sometimes by agents who've been doing this for years. Like, I and I'm not sure um, if if there are certain uh, talent buyers who have a uh, a distinct structure to booking shows, and they don't vary off of it. But that's not how I am, and I I I haven't. I haven't booked any other rooms besides Garcia's to be frank. And so um, my, my deals really depend on the, the show, the night of the week, the band, all of, all of everything that goes into that particular show. Um, so there are shows where I, you know, give someone a, a sellout guarantee, you know, um, because I know that when every time they come into Garcia's, they're going to sell it out no matter what, because they're, the lead singer of a band that sells out the Capitol theater. And now they're going to come here on a solo project and, and, and we love them. And so, you know, they get a sellout offer. Um, but there are also lots of bands that come and play that just make a percentage of the door after our house expenses are covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a very popular uh, deal type as well. Like, uh, you know, somewhere in the 65 to 85% of the door after we cover, uh, you know, our, our sound and security um, hourly wages. So um, mm-hmm. there's that. And then there's, you know, I, there's also a popular in between, which is a versus deal where I'll say to someone, uh, you know, I'll give you a thousand bucks versus uh, 75% of the door after expenses, whichever one's higher. And, sure. um, you know, if it's a band where I don't think it's an automatic sellout, uh, there's going to be some type of back end uh, incentive uh, in there for the, so that we can share the risk of a show and we're going to go out and put our best marketing foot forward and, and they're going to do the same thing. And in the end, uh, hopefully we have, you know, a room full of people dancing and having fun. So you don't, you don't, um, I guess I don't want you to let any cats out of the bags, but you don't have them pay to play. No, I, I don't have bands pay to play. Uh, there, there have been, uh, occasions where, uh, no, there, like, Private events is the only, but oh, that's yeah. different. You know, if a band says, "Hey, we're going to throw a party," and and we, yeah. but we're not going to sell tickets. That's that's different. But no, I don't have any scenarios where I have a band coming in to pay in order to play. Uh, and if 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 I believe uh, a band is 
good enough to take the stage and put on a show in Garcia's, um, I'm going to put them in a scenario where they can at least have the opportunity to get paid. Uh, if I'm not giving them a guarantee, they'll, they'll have access to money if we sell tickets for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any bands doing like, uh, every third Thursday of the month there at Garcia's, I mean, is there a circuit like, a residency of sorts like yeah, that. Sort of I don't have a residency with specific bands. The tough part about Garcia, the toughest part about booking Garcia's is that we don't have ticketed shows on the same night that the Capitol Theater has ticketed shows. So uh -huh. the Garcia's is open during Capitol Theater concerts. Since there's 2000 people at a, at a Capitol Theater show, um, you know, during the show, in during you know, before the show, after show, during set break, people come out into the lobby and, and grab drinks at Garcia's. It's an overflow bar. It's a great hang spot. There's a big hundred inch TV with the music from the main room pumping through the Garcia speakers. So if you want to just kind of like come into Garcia's and grab a drink and see the show on the screen right in front of you, you can do that too. And so it's a social environment. So I guess what I'm getting at is um, it's hard for me to gain clarity of my booking calendar until the Capitol Theater says, okay, yeah. we're not going to book this date. And, yeah. and that is oftentimes um, before the pandemic, that was, I'd get eight to 10 weeks lead time clarity on my schedule. Whereas most venues, most talent buyers are booking six months in advance. I'm, I'm booking two, three months if I'm lucky in advance, which is, makes it really hard naturally to to book nationally routing tours because they're routing them many months in advance. And I'm just kind of approaching them to squeeze in a show here or there once I get clarity on the calendar. So that makes it hard for me to have regular residencies. What I do have is um, we have dead center. And I mentioned it a little before it's like uh, it, it, it goes back to when Pete Shapiro who owns the Capitol theater and, and uh, Garcia is my boss he owned the wetlands in New York city, which is uh, an infamous location for where so many jam bands had their roots and rock bands in, in New York city. Sure. Um, yeah. And so dead center was Wednesday. And then eventually I think it was Tuesday. Um, every night was a free grateful dead night and our Garcia's it's not free, but we have every, every Wednesday as our quote unquote dead center where we kind of keep the grateful dead community alive. And we'll have a tribute band come and play dead tunes. Um, usually almost every Wednesday night. Um, but if the cap has Billy strings on Wednesday, then, you know, we're not going to have dead center that week or we'll have a Tuesday or Thursday edition, you know? Yeah. Um, but it makes it a little harder to have regular residencies um, with that, with, with that. Yeah. Hurdle. Are there any other um, venues that have this structure where they have a separate independent bar in the lobby? That's doing uh, their thing. Not many. I, you know, Webster oh, Hall many. has a, you know, a few different rooms. It's not quite the same, um, but yeah. you know, Webster Hall's got a few different rooms. You walk yeah. in, there's the Dolphin yeah. Bar, right? You know, on the first level, yeah. and then you go right. upstairs to the big room. Um, and in in Rhode Island, there was a spot, and I'm not sure if now I'm forgetting the name of it, um, but but that similar, but not quite to the same. It was more of a lounge without a stage, but. I don't know of any with a, you know, it's a 250 person venue, um, you know, in, inside of a 2000 person venue. Yeah, so yeah. It's an interesting dynamic and it's really cool in some, in some ways it's a hurdle in other ways, it's a great advantage for young bands to be able to get on the stage um, before uh, an hour before Billy strings takes a, right. you know, takes right. stage to a 2000 person room. Um, it's, it's great to get in front of a packed house of a, a, of a similar genre artist, for example, and get in front of some new fans. Right. I mean, you have Vegas with the old, um, you know, the piano bar, whatever, first room, and then there's the main room. But that's right. all connected to, the, to the, the venue, I'm sure, or the hotel, whatever. But this is, uh, yeah, I don't think I know of any that do it this way. Yeah. That's a neat setup. Yeah. Um, so is there, what's the worst night of the week to book? I'd have to say Monday. Mm -hmm. I'd have to say Monday. I mean, pretty classic date, you know, Monday's a tough night to get folks to come out. Uh, sometimes we'll have a decent show on a Sunday night. Um, you know, sometimes we'll try to do an earlier show on a Sunday, um, you know, like seven o'clock show instead of an eight o'clock show. Um, and you know, Tuesdays, I would say after, you know, uh, in reverse order, I would go, uh, Monday's the worst night, uh, then Tuesday, and in Garcia's, 
I would then go Sunday, then Thursday. Wednesday has turned into our, I'd say, you know, Friday, Saturday, and, and Wednesday are our best three nights in Garcia's mm. just because Wednesday has turned into this regular dead center, whereas a lot of the locals are, have become familiar with, you know, oh, it's Wednesday night, there's going to be something cool going on in Garcia's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about, I know um, a while back, because I, I managed a band who used something called Sonic Bids, which is something you subscribe to and Sonic Bids is something that I'm saying bands subscribe to these and they get opportunities to submit their EPKs, their, their press kits to talent buyers. And I know at one point pre-pandemic, so two plus years ago, two and a half years ago, there was an opportunity at Garcia's. So can you explain uh, what that is for you and, and how that worked from your perspective? Yeah. The Sonic bids is an interesting, is interesting. I use Sonic bids as a way to, look for bands that are looking for gigs in the area. Um, the Sonic Bids model itself, um, you know, I, I, I have to say I, I use it more than it uses me. And, that, and that's not, that's not, in, uh, not for any nefarious reason or any, I, I, just, I just basically, um, it's hard to promise a gig. Um, in, my, in my mind, it's hard to promise a gig to a band that I haven't, seen play yet uh in person or have a have a have some kind of relationship you know but i i use sonic bids as a way to find bands so i'll look at the bid the bands that will uh say that they want to play garcia's on sonic bids um i will sometimes hit them up on this if i hit them up it's usually on the side um and I don't know if anyone from if Sonic Bids has like spies in it or whatever. Like, oh, this guy's violating. I'm not sure. I'm sorry if I am. But, um, but you know, I, I look for bands that are looking for gigs through there, and I sift through um, the in, and find the ones that I think might be the right vibe for Garcia's, and I reach out to them on the side. Um, there are definitely long periods of time that go by without me logging into the Sonic Bids and checking it to see what's happening in there. So um, it's not one of my uh, main lead sources, so to speak, for finding finding bands. Uh, and now that you say it, I'm probably gonna go log in after after our interview and and just see what's shaking in there because I haven't paid close enough attention over the over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Now, now let's talk about being a talent buyer for a venue because your position is a confusing position for people who don't know what you do. They don't, they think, so are you an agent? Are you the promoter? Um, So I know what you are, but can you kind of um, take away the fuzziness and explain where you fit in terms of that relationship between artist management, agent, promoter? Sure, absolutely. Um, The band, I decide for the venue, what bands are going to play in the venue. If I want to break it down, super, super simple. That's 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 how it, that's how it comes down to. Uh, well, that's what it comes down to. Um, but then beyond that, uh, the promoter, I guess, I, in, if if I was going to pick any of those things, I'm the I would be the promoter. But promoter kind of means that I have my own personal money in 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 the in the action. That would be really my boss, Pete Shapiro. I guess would be he would be the promoter of all the shows that I book for Garcia's in the Capitol Theater, and I just take care of the. The, the booking um, admin side of that for him and, and the curating. But um, basically I'm reaching out to agents for bands who have agents. I'm reaching out to agents to set up a deal for the bands to play in Garcia's um, for bands that don't have agents. I'm reaching out to the bands directly and saying, Hey, I really like your music. You want to try and find a date to put on the books for a show at Garcia's. Um, and and if agents or bands want to seek out a show at Garcia's, I'm the contact for the venue that they'll eventually be led to. So if someone um, looks up in Polestar Live or Polestar's listing of who books what venues, they'll find me when they find Garcia's, they'll find my contact information. Um, if they randomly call the venue and say, how do I get a hold of the person who, who books Garcia's? my email address is, is the email address they get. So I guess, I think that's, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. Now, um, how, then how do you promote shows at Garcia's? What do you do? Um, sure. So we have a marketing department, um, made up of an incredible, 
uh, marketing director, Stephanie May, Tyler LaRocca is her right hand. And, uh, and they have a huge team of fantastic interns um, that, that do work under them for marketing. Now, the main ways that we market our shows uh, are on, on social networks these days, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, TikTok. We just started, a, we finally started a Garcia's TikTok account. Um, and uh, besides that, we're old school where uh, we have a street team coming in to the office or that we're mailing out flyers to, uh, you know, little small handbills, uh, cards, four by six cards that they put up at different shops in the, throughout Westchester and Fairfield counties. Um, and then we have our digital street team, which are our uh, online uh, live music warriors, so to speak, that, you know, share and post and repost all of the messaging that we have. And then, of course, there's emails that we send out to past ticket buyers and people who have attended shows at the Capitol Theater. Um, we work with radio stations, you know, local 1071 or 90, 90.7. Um, uh, you guys now, which is exciting. And, um, you know, we reach, we reach out to, uh, to the fans, however, however we, you know, whatever the best way of the day is. I actually have a student who couldn't get out of a class. She was going to help co-host because she wants to intern for you. So uh, I'll, I'll make an intro because I was. Yeah, please connect us. Yeah, she lives in the area. So um, in your area. So that's good. But it, but it's funny because I listened to you mentioned 107.1 The Peak. That's a radio station that I stream uh, and listen to in FUV 90.7 because that's sort of Pete Shapiro land you know yeah. Uh, oh yeah sort of area and, and the genre of music that they play that sort of triple a audience which is what you know um you guys go for so between you and the capitol theater garcia's and capitol theater 365 nights a year how many nights a year would you guys like to between the two venues have shows booked good question um let me think do some math to, to, I, i'd say somewhere in the at least two, I'd say somewhere in the 250 range. I'd say somewhere in the 250 range, you know, at least four shows a week. I think that four shows a week is a, um, I, I, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, every week. So I, I, you know, just off the top of my head, I'd never thought about it in terms of how many shows per year would we like to have, but I'd say between the cap and Garcia's, I'd say 250 to 250. Because in theory, you could say, well, every night you don't have a show, you're losing money because you're still getting paid to be there and there's still a whole staff. However, if you have a money losing show, I guess, um, that might be worse than not having a show at all. So are you doing, talk about, are you doing that type of math like that I just laid out for you? Or, and when you're doing your curating, is it all gut? Is it you're looking at data, you're looking at past merch sales, past ticket sales, you're looking at Spotify followers, what do you, um, and social media, Instagram, what are you looking for to prove that you believe they can sell 250 tickets or 200 tickets there? Right. Um, I'm looking at a lot of the stuff I'm looking at for Garcia's is, pre is past shows. I have a lot of repeat, a lot of local and regional bands coming through. Um, and, and, so for Garcia's, it, it, I had gotten to the point in 2018, 20, I started in April, 2017, by the end of 20, by mid 2018 um, and, and through 2019, I was at a place where we could really predict how many people were going to come to most shows. And it was always somewhere in the um, 80 to 250 person range. Um, so even our, our less successful, if you will, shows, you know, we'd have 80 plus people in the house and 80 people in Garcia's is a great vibe. Uh, it's a great night. If you're at a show in Garcia's and there's 70, 80 people there, it doesn't feel empty by any means necessary. It feels, you know, there's a good vibe. And so, um, I, you know, what's interesting, I certainly do spend some time with our uh, accounting director and breaking down the numbers and, and she helps me keep on the, um, P&L mindset, uh, if you will, profit and loss mindset of, of uh, looking at the year in a quarterly or yearly annual standpoint and say, hey, we, you know, we should have more shows total or less shows, or we should look at where our revenue drivers are within the night. You know, do we do popcorn or pizza? Um, things like that. But as far as choosing which bands to play, a lot of that, uh, a lot of it's gut and a lot of it, is, you know, it's gut with the bands that haven't played yet. And a lot of it is um, knowing um, what the community loves, um, 
and knowing what we're going to get in Garcia. So uh, I would say um, it's not my my accounting director might want me to say that there's a super mathematical formula here, but uh, but there's not for me, not the, not in my personal approach. Um, and I've been lucky enough that we've our business has grown uh, over the last four or five years uh, in Garcia's and we've been successful and that's been fantastic. Um, but I can't attribute that to any particular formula. It's more, um, you know, it's interesting. I tell people I work for the venue, but I also work for the community. Um, and if I don't work for the community, then I'm not going to be successful in working for the venue because I could try to um, shove the coolest, hippest indie rock shows mm -hmm. into Garcia's night in and night out of bands coming up from Brooklyn that are incredible sonic bands. Um, but if that that's not the music that, Westchester wants to come out and see live, then mm -hmm. no one's going to come. Um, and so I have to perform this service to the live music fans that loved coming to the cap that love coming to the Capitol Theater and Garcia's. Um, and if they want to hear a Grateful Dead band every Wednesday night, that, 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 and that's part of who we are, that's going to happen. And and if they want to have uh, punk rock, you know, on, on on one night and reggae another, whatever it is, I try to really be in tune with the fans who come to the venue. I, I'm at the venue all the time. I speak to the fans when they're at the venue. And and I think that is what helps me uh, book bands that everyone's interested in coming out to is I, you know, I, I listen to what the fans want in addition to just picking mathematically what works um, and how many listeners any particular band might have on a social media account. What matters more to you, selling tickets selling a lot of tickets you know, or selling fewer tickets, but the audience buys more alcohol? <laughs> um, for me, it's, it's selling more tickets. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what means more to me is selling more tickets. Um, you know, we have, uh, it, it, it's certain that I'd be lying if I didn't say that we looked at, um, you know, where we're at with the bar uh, each night, because it's no giant secret that, um, you know, bands make a, a by and large portion percentage of the ticket revenue and what's left for a venue um, to earn revenue through. And the main thing is, is the bar. Um, so so there's no that's no there's no secret to, to knowing that that's a, a huge revenue stream in the live music industry. Um, but I'm just I'm trying to sell tickets. Um, and, and if you have bands that consistently bring people into the venue, then the rest is gonna, is gonna happen naturally. You know, people will drink. Um, I'd rather have 250 people, uh, every night having a packed room than having, um, 50 people every night drinking enough, uh, drinking five times as much as your average human. Um, you know, I, I'd rather have a packed room with people who are having an amazing experience. And if the more nights that you have with more people in the venue, the more it builds the community and the more likely it is for someone to come back and see a show, regardless of who's on stage, but because they know they're going to be part of this really fun night at Garcia's. And um, that that's going to end up bringing people back to the bar more, more frequently. Um, and by bar, I mean the venue more frequently um and having a good time which in the long term equals success more so than necessarily you know saint patty's day once a week right you do a course promotion too with a um let's say a band that's the first time out maybe you'll have ladies night or you'll have five hour beers or something to try to bring in a crowd we try to attach, yeah, we try to attach themes to a night where it makes sense. And uh, a lot of times, yeah, if there's a band coming in that has never played the venue before, we'll certainly try to find a way to engage uh, the local community or the local fans of the venue, um, you know, besides just saying, check out this video of this band right. you haven't seen yet. Um, right. sure. uh, we don't lean on bar specials too frequently. Um but uh, we certainly try to do tie-ins and, you know, maybe it's a get a free, everyone in the door gets a free walks with a free poster um, or uh, even, even stuff uh, so much as adding a, um, a nonprofit element to it, like a food drive to a show. It's, it's, it's interesting when you think about it psychologically, like, Oh, now I have to buy my ticket and bring a can of food, but people get excited about, um, you know, things like that about being part of something larger than just the, the show yeah. itself. So 
we certainly try to, to add themes where we're already making sense. This was tried in Canada, but did you ever try pay on the way out? In other words, band, people come in the audience, and then if the band's great, they pay on the way out what uh, they think it was worth. I have not tried, tried that. in Canada a few times. I have not tried that. I and wouldn't be totally opposed to it. it I wouldn't be totally opposed to it. Yeah. Yeah. You like the radio version. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> now, do you, when and, you book- yeah, wait, just to add on top of that, you know, when, um, when Radiohead did the pay what you want for the LP, uh, for the, uh, was it the single, the LP, whatever it was, okay. yeah. but they paid, the people must have been the single, they paid about 69 cents, the average. They received about 69 cents instead of the 99 cents in those, in those days. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't really that they just screwed the band. You know, right. they actually, they actually pay. Right. They realize that the band is hurt. You know, the band needs money, obviously. The, yes, Dave. Final question, because we have to wrap up. Um, how long are sets and is it usually just one band or is it uh, a couple artists who can perform on a, on a night? Yeah, it depends on the night. Most of the time on our like our Wednesday night dead center or a, a, a tribute band experience, they'll play two full sets um, and they'll play uh, a full concert. Uh, I say full concert, but I realize now there's different length concerts. So for us, you might uh, see a band play from 815 till 930 and then come on and play 945 until uh, 1145, 1130, 1145. So we'll usually see music from 815 or so until 1130 or midnight, uh, depending on the night. And if it's on the Friday or Saturday night, we'll go till, you know, 1230. Um, but sometimes with the, you know, with local rock bands, they play a shorter set. So we'll have two or three bands on the bill. Uh, with the jam bands, there's, you know, one or two bands on the bill because they right. want to play long, you know, long improvised sets. Right. Right. And final thing, you also do help with the booking at the Capitol Theater, or is that all Peter Shapiro, or who does the full-time booking for there? So my, my booking boss is Kirk Peterson, and uh, Kirk oversees all the booking for Dayglow, which is Pete's umbrella company that owns all of his different venues. Um, so I, 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 I love when every once in a blue moon, uh, Kirk will call me and say, Hey Josh, you got any ideas for this support? Or here's a, we have this night unexpected, still open. You have any ideas and I'll be able to help out and, and book in a couple shows here and there with the cap. Um, but mainly, um, we've got some fine folks at, uh, live nation who are booking the bands, uh, Jason Miller, um, and, uh, Steven Gaber, who are, who are doing a fantastic job at uh, booking the Capitol Theater right now. And they work very closely with uh, Peach Pirro and Kirk Peterson in making sure that, you know, it's a, it's a custom curated experience at the Cap and it holds up to the historic awesomeness that the venue is. Speaking of awesomeness, final thing, my middle name is Kirk, which I'm very proud of. And um, you're, you're mentioning of Kirk Peterson, that's the third Kirk I've come across in the last week. So wow. that's the importance and value of the name Kirk. And none, none of them were Cap, uh, Captain Kirk. No, none of them. William Shatner is no influence anymore. Right. He's got nothing on these Kirks. <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not. We're, we're young and viral and he's 97 years old. So he's Betty White's brother. So with that in mind, Dr. Esteban, we need to wrap this up. Yes. So just... Josh Cohen, we need to thank you. So, Josh Cohen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was awesome having you on Music Biz 101 and more. You're going to get a can of turtle wax in the, in the mail. So, thank you. I so love turtle wax. It's, it's the greatest thing for any car and any motorized vehicle. So, so, at the end of every show, Josh, we do not say hello. Do you know what we say at the end of every show? Adioso. Oh, wow. I mean to say. Sweet, sweet dreams as you breathe And I am a breeze I wish you much success I hope you bump a cigarette from the wrong guy Hope you ruined your life You could say I have spied You would be right She's on you Who left a whole size of California Maybe one day we can reconcile I was scared
As you dream. 